My name is Rachel Morgan, CEO of Shark Eye Productions and producer on A Thread of Deceit, The Hart Family Tragedy. I'm Chuck Lewis, uh, President and CEO of Ally Entertainment and also an executive producer of A Thread of Deceit. Neighbors last reported seeing the hearts at their home on Friday, March 23rd. The picture that is floating throughout the world captured the moment. They both decided that this was going to be the end. I don't know what to look for. You know, I, I know like what signs to look for if your kid gets abused, your own kid, how their behavior changes. There was a lot of turmoil in the family and a lot of suffering and a lot of tragedy that they had to get over. They took my life away from me. Every memory I have of them is just a big hug. The cause of the crash remains a mystery right now. Investigators have said the weather was clear at the time. I realized r really quickly that no matter what I said or didn't say, there was no way I was coming through this unscathed. They were put under a microscope in a way that I don't think anyone deserves to be put under. I unfortunately think something horrible happened to him. I thought maybe I would see the kids again. And I, could, I just wanted to hold on to let them know there was somebody who fought for you. Jen and Sarah lived the kind of lives that made it easy for them to hide their behaviors inside the house. All we know is that the vehicle ended up at the bottom of a 100-foot cliff, and that's what we're... That is the trailer for the recently released documentary, A Thread of Deceit, The Hart Family Tragedy. And this is Factual America. A podcast produced by Alamo Pictures, a production company specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for an international audience. I'm your host, Matthew Sherwood, and every week we look at America through the lens of documentary filmmaking by interviewing filmmakers and experts on the American experience. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, to find out where you can see our films, and to connect with our team. A Thread of Deceit is a gripping film about the horrible tragedy that befell a seemingly perfect American family, but it also provides us with valuable lessons about social media, our society, and the American adoption system. As we found out when we caught up recently with producer Rachel Morgan of Shark Eye Productions and executive producer Chuck Lewis of Align Entertainment. Rachel Morgan, Chuck Lewis, welcome to Factual America. Thanks for having us. Hey, at times like this, um, I think it's we instead of jumping right in, let's uh, let's ask how are you doing, uh, Rachel? First to you. Um, I'm okay. I'm I dressed today, um, so there's that. <laughs> I'm not in my yoga pants, <laughs> um, but no, I'm doing I'm doing okay. We're still uh, we're still at stay at home here in here in Los Angeles, but. Yeah. Um, and for our listeners and watchers around the world, tell them what time it is. It's seven a.m. Yeah, or you, just past that. <laughs> you've taken one for the team. Yep. You can edit out my sleepy winks, right? <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Whatever you yeah, want. Thanks. And, and Chuck, how are things in Atlanta? Uh, things in Atlanta are pretty much the same. The, it looks like the um, the uh, the quote unquote the death curve has slowed down, mm -hmm. um, and people are still shelter in place, even though our governor has uh, lifted a lot of the restrictions. Uh, but I, most people believe it's a little early for that. Um, and most people are still um, adhering to shelter in place. I know I am. 
Well, uh, I, I talk to people around the around the globe, and it's it's one it's the great leveler. This this whole crisis, everyone's in the exact same boat, and uh, so I gather you're not going to the uh, tattoo parlors or the spas. No, so, <laughs> your governor says it's, it's okay. Yeah. None of that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, welcome again. Uh, it's, it's great to have you. Um, the film is. Uh, our listeners and watchers have seen the, the trailer is a, a thread of deceit, the Hart family uh, tragedy. Um, Rachel, it, it may be hard to believe this was a, you know, this is a big story. It was national and international media, but uh, maybe you can give us a little background on the film uh, for those of, for those few out there who don't know what, what this film is about. Uh, sure. The, the film's about Jen and Sarah Hart, uh, who, tragically drove their children off of a cliff in Mendocino County in California, uh, Northern California. Um, the film, so everyone knows that story. <laughs> it was international news, as, as you mentioned. Um, but the film really focuses on on the backlash of that and, and how media and social media um, really took that story and chewed it up and kind of spit it back out. And um, yeah, so we kind of, we dive into a lot of like what happened uh after and leading leading up to to the the incident, but we really focus on what happened afterwards. I mean, you you've already said you've mentioned who the hearts they they were actually um, they're in the limelight even before this incident. Um, I guess it's fair to say uh, not many comments, and but could say they're sort of what people now say is woke. It's a bit of a pejorative term these days, but uh, definitely in a certain certain scene, if you will. Um, but uh, you know, what happened? I mean, they, they seem like the perfect family in many ways. And yet this, this, I mean, like, I guess it's certainly why it's a tragedy, but how did, you know, what happened there? Right. Well, um, no one could really say, you know, like what was going on inside the house. And, and that's, that's, um, that will always be a mystery to everyone, even after 10 films are made <laughs> on the story. Um, no one really knows what happened in the house, but, um, after the tragedy happened, um, they did uh, a huge investigation for, for a year and then had a public inquest to, to um, kind of come to a conclusion of, of what happened. And uh, in that inquest, it was revealed that um, they had actually been running away from CPS and moving from state to state to, to escape abuse charges and, and uh, get away with uh, child abuse that was happening behind closed doors. Um, now on the outside, their, their friends and, and family on the outside had no idea that was, that was going on for the most part. Um, so it really is a story of, of deceit, of, of putting on this mask and, and, and curating this picture perfect family, especially with like social media. Everyone knows that, you know, what I show on my Instagram is not what I'm going through every day, <laughs> you know, and, and same with everyone, it, right? Like we post our best days. We don't, we don't post when we're depressed on the couch eating cheese puffs, you know? And I, I think that's, that's a huge part of this story is how they, they were able to curate this um, picture perfect image of themselves and of their children. And, um, and especially being, you know, a queer couple adopting uh, six black kids Um it's just like, oh my gosh, this family's amazing. Look, look what they're doing, you know. Um, and now, now, what I can't really talk on or or really ever know is how how deep the depression was, like what was going on um, with with Sarah and Jen um, 
you know, as far as uh, just mentally goes, you know, I don't, I don't know. And, and no one may ever really know that, you know, um, but. Um, You've mentioned Sarah and Jen, but I think obviously there's the, there's the six children. And I think uh, as we roll here at uh, Factual America, we like to show clips from the films and you've, uh, as producer, you've gra uh, gracefully uh, allowed us to show a couple of clips. I think uh, it would be great. To, um, there's a scene um, where uh, you, in early on in the film, about three minutes in, I think, where you uh, introduce the children. And uh, maybe you could set that up a little bit, and then we will go to that clip. One thing I noticed early on in creating this film is that the the voices of the children were really lost. And um, the focus was on how horrible these women were or you know like there's just like this this media uproar that really took away from the fact that the world just lost six beautiful incredible children and it was just so so tragic and so horrible and we really wanted the the children to be seen um because again just like when you would look up the story it's just like you know, kind of dateline-y, just like Jen and Sarah Hart, you know, like it, it was just so just like, um, just kind of disgustingly told that it took away from the the actual tragedy of losing these these children and, and the innocence that these children, these children had. And um, those closest to the family fell madly in love with these children. And it's why it had such a huge impact on that community um, in Portland that where they, they were for the last couple of years, they were in Portland and Washington, but this, this tragedy had such a huge impact on that community because they had fallen in love with these beautiful, graceful children who just wanted to spread love to, to the world. And, and we, we do feel that that was genuine and it wasn't forced upon them. Um, you know, we, we do feel that they were, they were genuinely, uh, trying to spread love. they were all just a big hug. And every memory I have of them is connected and, and punctuated by the same moment of just a, f a flood of them arriving and us all hugging each other in one big ball. Every time. And no pretense, no dishonesty, just totally present and completely full of like this effervescent, intoxicating love that was just undeniable. All of us thought Devante was gonna be the president. You know what I mean? Marcus, God bless him, he I mean, Marcus never talked. I, I knew Marcus for four years and he had his head in the books all the time. The most excited I ever saw him was that when that bird landed on the podium at the Bernie Sanders thing. He was like clapping and he was like smiling and that was, that was Marcus. Devante, he reached out, but he was also like the most sensitive of the group. Hello, Nasheen. How are you doing today? <laughs> I missed you. Thank you for that birthday message. I love you so much. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Make some bean wraps today for my siblings. To me, it seemed like these children were so joyful and well-adjusted and engaging, I mean, they were all different. And Marcus and Hannah were much quieter. They were much, much more observers and peripheral and the part of me that prefers the edges related to them in that way. Um, and then 
um, Devonte and Jeremiah and Sierra were always right up in there, you know, engaging with everybody. Go, Abby, go! <laughs> She's washing her hair, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Devante was definitely the most outgoing and charismatic. You could tell that within him that he's a very old soul. But as we got to know the rest of the family, I really feel like Jeremiah and Abby would jump out of their shells and they'd just oh, be yeah. these characters. <laughs> okay, I don't think you have to be a, a parent to be touched by the by those those scenes of those of, of those children. Uh, Rachel, um, you interview many family friends um, as part of this this film. I mean, uh, for the most part, who are these people? Are they all from the Oregon, Washington area? Um, I noticed they all had, seemed to have music links. Was it on purpose? I think you have a musical instrument in every shot. Oh, really? <laughs> Never noticed that. <laughs> um, interesting. Uh, yeah, they are. They are. Most of them are from uh, the Portland area, or were at the time uh, that Sarah and Jen Hart, Hart lived there. Um, and uh, it is this this uh, community of of mostly musicians, <laughs> actually, um, who really came together. M musicians who really. Um, just have a love and passion for the world and, and spreading positivity, honestly. Like, uh, um, they, they do go to a lot of festivals together as, as well. Um, but I, I think most importantly, they, that's where Jen and Sarah were going to these festivals, meeting these people, and they, they became a part of that, that music community in, in Portland at the time that they lived there. Now, um, I, I think as we were discussing previously, uh, there's there's no spoiler alerts with this film. Uh, we already know the tragic ending, um, but all good documentaries are about so much more than than the subject. And uh, Chuck, you and I had a chance to uh, catch up. I think it was last week, and uh, just wanted to ask you what what is the threat of deceit really about? Well, I think uh, if you look at a threat of deceit, there are two major factors. Um, in this Hart family tragedy, which is absolutely one of the, the worst things that um, that can happen is parents taking the lives of their children. Uh, but I think clearly uh, there are two aspects of this film uh, that Rachel told uh, very well and very eloquently. Um, one is the effects of social media on the day-to-day -day lives of individuals. Um, their social media addiction. Um, you have, uh, in the U.S., uh, you have the average American spends over two hours a day on social media. Social media has been linked to other mental illness disorders uh, or enhancing uh, issues that are already present. For example, low self-esteem. Um, you know, as, as Rachel said, you know, who actually knows what happened? But these are the things that we do know are occurring, that uh, individuals that have low self-esteem um, they are they are tremendously affected by what happens on social media. They crave for attention. Um, they uh, their if their posts don't get enough likes, then they um, um, they, it, they they express it internally and externally. So I think the whole aspect of studying the effects of social media on our everyday lives is a clear indicator. Um, that this film is right on point and what can happen 
uh, when individuals uh, over-involve social, social media in their lives. Now, I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. We spend the least amount of time <laughs> on social media, so I, I don't have to worry about my addiction because I'm totally not addicted to it. <laughs> but people with low self-esteem often spend more time on social media than people that do not. 71% of kids that spend over five hours a day on social media, 71% of those kids are more apt to commit suicide, 71%. So you couple low self-esteem with um, social media and oftentimes there's not a positive outcome that comes from that. Uh, and that's why you have kids that are so affected by bullying over social media. The second piece is the adoption system in the U.S. Uh, mm -hmm. it, obviously, it is flawed. Uh, and that's something that we can explore, Matthew, a little bit later, if you'd like. Yeah, and I think you made reference to CPS. For our listeners outside of uh, most of the United States, because uh, I think that's a pretty common acronym used throughout the United States, but it's Child Protective uh, Services, which uh, is responsible for protecting children uh, in troubled situations. And in this case, um, the Texas CPS adopted out all six children to the um, to the hearts. Um, I think you made a very good, I want to get back to this point about social media and mental health. Um, I think the sort of almost the flip side of this is um, why are all these people having problems with, with self-esteem and uh, thinking that their lives aren't um, what it should be? And I, I think you've got a, uh, well, you've got many great clips, but there's one I, I think we're going to, we'd like to see now from the film. Um, where uh, a lot of people talk about this, but specifically you've got um, your forensic psychiatrist, uh, Octavia Choi, makes some uh, good comments there. So maybe you could, um, I don't know which one of you wants to set this up. Uh, Chuck, since you were already, uh, you were already uh, on the, on, in the docket, if, as it will, uh, once you, uh, as it were, why don't you uh, set this up? Okay. Um, this is a clip um, that speaks to the, um, the psychological effects uh, that social media was having within this family. Um, this is a particular family that lived their lives, as Rachel mentioned earlier in the interview, lived their lives basically on social media. Um, the question becomes, is there any real substance behind those clips? Um, and what I think you, you gather, especially when you, when you hear from the psychiatrist, is that, and then as the movie suggests, hiding in plain sight. These are, these are flawed individuals that have all of these beautiful, wonderful kids that secretly and behind the scene, as the name suggests, are having severe, severe trauma issues among themselves, uh, and they really live an unhealthy lifestyle. They moved in, I want to say May 17, 2017. I knew the house had sold, and... I had looked up that it had closed and they moved in shortly thereafter. We've had kids live next door before. You hear them, you see them, they speak to you, you know, and so it, this was completely abnormal it, to have six kids that we never saw, heard, or spoke to. Sarah didn't really tell us much about her family. I don't know of anyone that worked with us that knew more than she's married to Jen and she has six kids. I mean, she didn't really tell much about her family. To me, that was a little weird because I brag about my son 24-7, you know, and besides knowing that she has six kids, we didn't really know much about her. 
One of the impressions I got when you sent me the photos, uh, you know, of, their fa of the Facebook feeds of Jen and Sarah is like how perfect they are, right? And the word perfectly curated comes up a lot. Um, and you know, what that implies is, curation implies an active image manipulation, essentially. So there were, uh, you know, they lived the kinds of lives that they can project this perfect image of themselves because most of their quote unquote friends were either through Facebook or there were kind of these temporary uh, encounters at festivals where they could, uh, on a temporary basis, project everything positive they wanted to project about them. The pictures of them playing in the snow. Those kids were not outside playing in the snow, but yet there's this picture of them, you know, and it's so perfectly propped with Devante and I think it was Jeremiah, and they're sitting out in the snow and they have a mug in their hand and they're probably, you know, drinking hot chocolate or where they're on the side of a lake and they are turning around and blowing kisses to mom. You're listening to Factual America. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Alamo Pictures to keep up to date with new releases or upcoming shows. Check out the show notes to learn more about the program, our guests, and the team behind the production. Now back to Factual America. Welcome back to Factual America. I'm here with uh, Rachel Morgan and Chuck Lewis, the filmmakers behind A Thread of Deceit, The Hart Family Tragedy. Uh, we've just watched this uh, clip on... Um, from the film about the the impact and the effects of social media, uh, one thing that I've noticed is you know all this family footage. I mean, no no offense to the director of, of uh, photography, but some of the best shots in this film all seem to be uh, family uh, films and photos that they took. They look like straight out of an online clothing catalog, a Benetton ad, or here in the UK we have something called Bowden, and they they look straight out of there. Uh, Rachel, how'd you get your hands on this footage? Um, you know, honestly, a lot of it came from Jen's Facebook. So, so Jen, uh, um, who, for, for those of you who don't know, is, was the driver in, in the vehicle, uh, within the couple, um, Jen took a lot of video and, and a lot of photos and she actually, she ended up, I, I believe, picking up photography uh, towards the end as well. So she actually has a lot of like really high quality photos of, of her children, um, uh, towards the end there. But, uh, but, but Dana, their, their neighbor actually made a, a pretty good point that a lot of those seem to be curated, like where she didn't see the children playing outside a lot, but then there'd be these picture perfect, you know, or photos that are just absolutely perfect of the children, you know, with, with the coffee mug and in the snow and with the dogs and, and everything. So, so a, a, a lot of those, it is believed that a lot of those were kind of set up to, to paint that perfect picture once again. It, it, it does remind me of a, a short I saw uh, not too long ago, um, uh, about this guy actually in in Ohio who collects undeveloped uh, film, and he found all this undeveloped film from the fifties, and he finally developed it. It was from this one family, and one thing that struck him was that people were just documenting their lives back then, and now we're all about creating memories. And yeah. I think it is all about this social media. You know, it's even the uh, well, the, the major theme park that will go unnamed will say, "I remember an ad saying." Uh, uh, you, that you'll create memories that you'll always remember, you know, something banal like that. But that's, you know, that's, that's what it, is, it seems to be all about these days, this image that we're putting forward. Right. Um, I, I want to move to the project, actually, the, the, the story behind the story, really. Um, uh, Rachel, how did you get involved? What attracted, to you, attracted you to this? I imagine there's, there were plenty of people looking to make this film, and uh, you've gotten in there first. Um, so... 
so I lived in Portland for 10 years and um, I had a production company with my ex-husband up there. And I was actually on the phone with him uh, when this happened. And he had met the family a couple of times, but but didn't really know them them well at all. Um, and uh, But he is very tied into uh, this group of, of musicians and the, their closest friends toward, towards the end of, of their lives. Um, and so that, so in talking to him, when it, when it very, when it first happened, like it first hit, hit the news, uh, what really struck me was what, what their loved ones were going through because they, they weren't allowed to grieve. They weren't allowed to voice their opinion or stick up for them at first, because at first they didn't know that it was on purpose. At, at first, like when the news was first released, it was like, oh my gosh, there's been a horrible accident. We just lost this beautiful family. And so the friends first had to like grieve with that. And then as news just started to to come out about it being um, on, on purpose that she drove off the cliff, they had to deal with that emotion of like, oh my gosh, one of my closest friends just did something that I can't even wrap my brain around. And then they were immediately attacked. Um, and that that is the piece of the story that where as he was telling me all of this and as I was talking to, to others involved, um, really grabbed me. Um, and I um and and I had not met the family at all. Just to be clear, um, I I've never met the family. Um, I'm not I'm not as closely tied to that group of people. Uh, but but my ex husband uh, ex husband was, and he just happened to be a filmmaker. Um, so I actually called Jeff Mullins, and um, who's another executive producer on on the film. So I called Jeff Mullins and Chris Coben because we just got off a film in New Orleans. Um, so we had all just worked together, and I was like, hey guys there's a horrible story. I'm, I'm, I'm a narrative producer, but for some reason I want to make a documentary on it. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> um, and, uh, I really just want to tell this story. It's horrible. It's tragic, but I feel like it's not being told the way it needs to be told because social media is full of trolls that are attacking everyone. And then the media tells it like it's a state liney thing. And it just, it drove me crazy how, how the story was being told. And so that's, that was the goal going into it was to kind of shed some light on, on a, l a little more of, of what was, what was happening to everyone involved. And is this, this was your first uh, foray into documentary filmmaking. Is that right? Yeah, I, I've done music documentaries back in the day. So we used to like tour with bands and do music documentaries, but nothing like this, nothing heavy. <laughs> this is the heaviest well, film I've ever done. <laughs> well, well, well done. I think it's, I mean, it's, I think it's great. It's an amazing film. Uh, uh, thank Chuck, you. I mean, how did you and Align Entertainment get involved? Well, uh, Jeff Mullins and I are business partners in Align Entertainment. Uh, so uh, he brought the film, um, and um, and we look for quality projects to get involved in. Um, this was certainly an extraordinarily quality project. Um, Rachel and Jeff had worked together uh, on uh, Gothic Harvest, uh, which is mm -hmm. a wonderful film, by the way. A little plug in for Gothic Harvest. <laughs> okay, it's allowed. <laughs> it's very uh, different from this film. We should say very different. Yeah. <laughs> very different. <laughs> uh, very, very, very different. Wonderful story. Uh, just a very different story. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, but um, so this story it needed to be told. Uh, there were there were a lot of, I guess, people speculating. There are a lot of people that. Um, that um, feel that, that feels some sort of way 
uh, regarding what these women did and feel very strongly, very strongly. So um, it was a, um, you know, it was a story that I think Rachel told it in the right fashion uh, with the right pace um, and gave you a full 360 view of exactly what was going on there. And so um, um, she gets accolades all the time, but like, again, I'll give her additional accolades in this film. I thought this film hit, hit the spot right on. I, I think you've, you've just alluded to it, uh, and I, it's essentially what the, basically the last quarter at least of the film is about, which is this backlash that um, everyone in the film faces wherever they are, whether it's the neighbor, the friends in this community, the festival goers, um, you, you know, whoever, it seems. Um, and um, I, I think that brings us to an interesting point. I'd like to know, uh, I'll start with you, Rachel. I mean, um, as a female filmmaker, I mean, what sort of backlash have, have you faced? And maybe talk a bit about the challenges of making this film in, in light of that. Sure, sure. Um, it was such a difficult film to uh, not not only produce, it was difficult for everyone involved, right? Where um, uh, the the editor, the DP, you know, we we had a director on board, and and she conducted actually a lot of the interviews, um, uh, most of the interviews, along with the DP, um, and uh, we actually ended up we're just a micro micro crew on this, but it ended up just being myself and my editor Ethan Derner uh, finishing finishing the film creatively at the end. Um, and, um, so it proved to be a film that I, I think for the entire, you know, year and a half that we were all working on it, we all had nervous breakdowns. <laughs> we all just like, I remember calling Chris Coben, uh, and Jeff, uh, early on, uh, when we were first getting backlash, um, where, and for, for us as producers, it was like, oh, these greedy, greedy LA people are trying to make money off, off these dead children, you know, like just like hor horrible things about us wanting to make profit off of, uh, or take advantage of this horrible story, which wasn't the case at all. Um, but, uh, I, I hope I don't have to say that. Um, but, uh, we were getting messages like that. The, the woman we had on who uh, was conducting a lot of the um, interviews actually had her home address posted online and saying, we need to take her down. Like she's creating this film. So, so the, the threats were very personal and very scary. And that was something um, a lot of us had never experienced, but it was something that the friends of the family experienced already as well, you know? So, so they were going through, all of these messages from these trolls threatening them, telling them to eat glass and die, you know, like these really horrible, horrible things. Um, and so we just became a part of that, that group in the way that we were needing to get used to dealing with messages that make you scared for your life, you know, and, and make you, make you question whether you're doing the right thing or not. And, um, and now that the film's been released, there there are uh, even more people. And and when I use the phrase trolls, I I, I hope that's universal. It, it's basically just someone online bashing whatever they want to bash, getting really passionate uh, and attacking people for their their opinions or their their views or or whatever without actually having ties to the story. So so these people did not know this family, um, did not know the friends of the family, but would send death threats and attack um, these people or the, or the filmmakers. Um, so that, that was something that I'm still not used to, that I'm still, we're all still getting over is, is that, uh, but, um, it was a lot worse in the very beginning because we actually hopped on this film, 
uh, I think within the week after the incident happened. And so, so I think that was a lot of people's issue with it was it's like, oh, you're jumping in just to take advantage when actually we're like, what, what was making us jump in so quickly was how the story was being told and us wanting to tell it in a different way. Well, I mean, it, it, indeed. I mean, it was quite a quick turnaround, wasn't it? Because when, when did this exactly happen? It was sometime 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, March. Yeah. So, so we just let's see. Gosh, now it's such a time warp. I, I believe we worked on the film for a year, a year and a half, and then we we our distribution company is 1091 Media, who yeah. are fantastic as well, um, and they've been so great about about getting it out there. And they they had it for about four four months or so so yeah i think i think we're we just let's see it's 2020 so so we're we just passed two years since the the incident right. in march and and chuck um did you face any have you faced any backlash uh, certainly as an african-american executive producer um i have not um rachel has carried the uh the uh, the slings and arrows on that part <laughs> uh, but i think that in you know when jeff and i were looking at some of the comments uh that we have um, um uh, that we've seen online a lot of the comments were from people that never actually saw the movie yeah. um and if they had actually seen the movie um some of the comments that, that they were making um would not would more than likely would not have been made but it's it's you know as they say it's nuclear grade material you've got a same-sex couple uh you have uh that have adopted all these wonderful uh, young african-american kids uh who also have birth families that are out there that their 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 pain is 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 one pain that i think you see come across in the film uh, and a lot of a lot of regret, a lot of inability to do anything about the situation. Um, once the court system got involved, uh, when these kids' uh, parental rights were, were relinquished to the to the court system, which about 15% of the kids that are adopted in the U.S. Um, uh, are adopted from relinquished rights, and you have another 59% of kids that are in the foster care system. That, that become adopted. So the mass majority of kids are coming from very troubled and broken environments. Um, but these kids have families. They also have people that care about them. Um, you have the one instance where the family member desperately tried to uh, intervene and get, yeah. the, get, the, get, their, get their loved one uh, into their family and had the capability and the means in which to, to, to do it. Receive no consideration. Um, and yet these other people that come in that are strangers magically are proved to adopt these kids. That's a very broken mm. scenario. You've got a family member that has a healthy respect and love for the child and has the means to take care of that child, even though the parent may not be able to do that. Um, how does that person get completely bypassed? Um, and the child is awarded to others. And I think, so you've got a lot of nuclear grade material. You've got all different kinds of components. So it's going to draw, as I stated earlier, it is going to elicit um, a significant amount of, of emotional feelings one way or the other. I mean, you mentioned earlier now, you've more than alluded to it again, is this uh, 
broken a, a adoption system in, in the US. I mean, uh, I have to say, uh, as the Texan and me agreed with the, the stepfather, I don't know how they let him outside, go outside the borders. But, uh, but you know, uh, not to make light of it, I mean, Chuck, is, is your own personal feelings as, as, as an African-American, what do you think of that whole, that this whole scenario where, I, um, you know, like you said, there was this aunt who was seemingly perfectly capable of taking the children and just ignored and they were adopted out to these strangers from from you know way far away mm -hmm. yeah i think i think the the fix to that is pretty it's simple and i've looked uh i've, I've done some research to try to find there's all types of efforts to reform the adoption system um and i have not found anywhere where that particular aspect of a child being adopted into the system has ever been explored. Um, mm. and, it, and I don't think that it has anything to do with, with race, uh, gender, or uh, same-sex. It has nothing to do with any of those things. It's just a fundamental flaw. Uh, yeah. And um, if that flaw were, addre were addressed, uh, then maybe we wouldn't have had a heart family tragedy. Yeah. Maybe we would have had the, the young man in the film um, grew up to be this great uh, innovator uh, mm -hmm. and 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 bringer together of people, which he seemed to have had and enjoyed uh, quite a bit of talent uh, in doing so. So I think addressing that one specific aspect uh, could save a lot of lives, a lot of tragedy, and 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 actually help promote better mental health with the adopted child. Because the one thing that um, that does often happen is that the children that get adopted have they struggle to um, to assimilate themselves into their new families in their new families' lives. Uh, I'm blessed to have a great business partner in Jeff Mullins. Jeff uh, himself, uh, executive producer of this film, Jeff himself was a, was was adopted um, and lived a great life and still continues to live a great life. Every kid doesn't have the Jeff Mullins story. Yeah. So it's not it's not about race and them adopting the kids. It's not any other issue and from the adoptive system standpoint, other than let's give the family a chance to take care of these kids. Mm. That's one piece. The other piece is the lack of continuity uh, between the different states. So you've got people that were getting in trouble in one state with these kids because of child abuse. And they're and they're moving. Not only are they picking up and moving from one state to the next, they also adopted more kids along the way. And they're bringing that problem and continuing to uh, bring that problem along with them, all the way until the ultimate end, which is a travesty. Again, going back to the, my first point, um, let's give these families a chance to take care of their kids. If they can't do it or unwilling to do it, then go to the next step and look for an outside family. I think that's a that's a very good point, Chuck. You've uh, you've you've cut to the chase here in terms of I was going to ask about lessons to be learned from the film, and I think you've provided us with some good ones. Uh, Rachel, uh, what do you want the audience to take away from this film? I think it's it, we're we're at a time in in history that that's it's fascinating because it's like we have this tool uh so social media 
to uh, that can be used for good or evil <laughs> at this point. And, and I feel that it's very, very divided. Um, I feel there is kind of a movement that is is heading towards the light on that where we, we need to find more empathy, um, especially with like what's going on in the world right now. You know, I think that's actually brought the world together where we're all going through the same thing, as, as you mentioned, um, uh, that we don't understand. Our, our, our minds just can't really fully grasp what's happening in the world right now. And so we're finding connection in social media uh, like we never have or, or using Zoom or, or like finding ways to connect with people around the world um, in a way that's really beautiful. Um, and I think that it, it's very scary to me um, how dark social media can be and and how like people when they're anonymous in their room behind their computer will say whatever they want to say because there there is no punishment for it there's there's no like uh reprimanding them there's 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 no they're, they're just anonymous so they can they have this confidence this really negative horrible confidence that's abusive and emotionally abusive um to whoever whoever they're attacking um and so i would say the lesson is to not only check in with your friends and family who seem like they've got it all together, um, because I think that's a part of the story too, where like um, the 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 depression and and what was going on in in that house was was missed. She she alluded to it to a few close close friends uh, who actually speak in the film about it. But um, when you see friends who have this picture perfect life. You don't think to check in with them. You don't. You don't think to ask if they're doing okay, because on on social media it looks like they are. And I, I, so I think that's a big part of it too, is to just make sure you're checking in with your friends who look super confident and they have all their stuff together, because there may be something going on. We're all going through things, and so we all just need to be empathetic and and connect with each other. Um, I I think that's it. Well, I think I think this brings us to a perfect point where I would like to uh, show a th another clip, actually, um, that speaks right to this issue. Um, you have, uh, I think, every documentary ends up one of, with a character that uh, maybe even surprised you, but is, ends up being sort of the sage of the film, uh, a family friend named Christopher Worth. And um, he says some really poignant things very early on in the film about um, social media. So let's, um, let's go watch that clip now. I was struck when I went back and looked at how much interesting Facebook posts about her family and how often she was doing that. That would give you a lack of privacy, uh, you know, to be putting the, posting that much stuff about yourself. I don't think she did it intentionally, but it's definitely cultivating uh, the seeds to have a viral video happen for you or, or you know, about a photo but that kind of behavior putting yourself out there that much now that I see tons of posts about the kids interesting snippets where it's kind of personal I never understood that dichotomy of the, 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 the what she would tell me about how much she didn't want to be in the limelight and then how much the posting and the, those types of things caused them to be in the limelight I think this is an example of how that extremist and rapid uh, environment of sharing information blows over and doesn't look back to check back in on parts of the story that um, don't maybe necessarily fit a narrative that is that could go viral, that are more complex, more nuanced, and like that's where our humanity is. The deepest truths about us are not totally black and white. There's a gradient 
all the shade exists there. And like, that is so important to be able to have a venue for discussing that. And the mainstream media and social media are moving at such a pace that we don't even discuss in a context where our humanity can be understood. All right, I think that's a, a, a very poignant uh, uh, clip there with the, uh, the interview with uh, Christopher Worth. I mean, he's a family friend. Do you, can you say anything more about, about him? Uh, he plays a, they all play a large part, but he plays a significant part in this film, Rachel. Sure, sure. Um, so Christopher Worth, uh, he also goes by Worth as well. His music is Worth Worth music. Um, he uh, he's one that I actually knew for over a decade now. So so I've known Christopher Worth a long time. Um, he is a wonderful person. <laughs> he actually, uh, when I think of that community, it, he he really does bring everyone together. Um, and and especially in times when when in of tragedy or when people need to support each other, he really he really is so good at kind of coordinating everyone to make sure everyone's okay and checking in in on each other. And so I think that he not not only comes across as so eloquent in the film, but I think he also um, was such a strong backbone for people uh, who were going through this tragedy and, and not knowing how, how to deal with it. Um, he was really such a good sounding board and, and helping people because he has such, his brain is just magnificent and he has such a, such a way of like, um, kind of being logical, but, but also he's just so deeply empathetic and, and emotional as well, that, that it's a really lovely balance where, where he is able to, feel such like deep feelings, but also be able to communicate logically about it. And, and so, so I did find that, that for this documentary, it, it was really like a perfect, he's kind of, he comes in throughout with that kind of sound sounding board on, on, on logic. Um, but also like, uh, how he, how he describes social media and also how the, how the children were just kind of lost in, in this tragedy. Um, I feel like that's kind of the point of the film. That like what what we just kind of watched is kind of the point of the film. And I think I mean we could have littered this whole podcast with just clips of him. He's he's extremely eloquent, but uh, I think he's got a quote there towards the end uh, where he basically says the uh, we may have discovered that the parents were not authentic, but what's not in doubt is that the kids were who we thought they were. What you see about the children really that was true. What was what we didn't know was that the parents weren't what we thought they were. Um, I, 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 it's hard to believe, but I think we're, uh, we're coming close to the end of this, uh, of this, uh, podcast. Uh, just want to ask you a few questions. Uh, have you, I mean, because of, uh, everything that's going on, have you managed to do any festivals? Uh, how did this work with the, with the release and, and distribution? Um, so we did not really go the festival route with this one. We, we signed on with, uh, 1091 media pretty, pretty early on after, after the release. And, um, so at that point they were able to turn things around really quickly, um, and wanted it released, um, Gosh, what year and month is it? <laughs> I wanted it released uh, this spring. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, in April. <laughs> I know, yeah, April. Thanks. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so they wanted a really, really quick turnaround on there, and and um, uh, they they did just such a fantastic job of of getting it out to um, different outlets and and media, and we, we had a bunch of articles written written on it, um, and it was important for us to get it out around around the time that that it happened as well. Um, so we went that that route with 1091. Okay. And uh, so it, it has been released. Uh, where can we see this film? Uh, we can see it on uh, 
Amazon, Apple, Voodoo. Um, okay. Gosh, I should have written down Google. a list. There, there's a few other. <laughs> yeah. Google, Google Play. Google, Google Play. Play. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Did you mention that? You mentioned iTunes, right? iTunes, yeah. yeah. Apple, iTunes, and uh, Xbox. I I, Xbox. Okay. <laughs> All right. So basically, we'll, pick we'll your keep <laughs> Anyone? You just I think if you just uh, well, it's 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 entered into the lexicon. We just people Google it, they'll find it. Wherever You'll find they like it. To, yeah. Where they like to uh, watch films. Uh, and how best can we, uh, Rachel? How best can we follow you and your career going going forward? Oh, sure. Um, I've got my website, Shark Eye Productions, that I'm trying to, or sharkeyeproductions.com, that I that I keep okay. updated. I'm also on IMDb. It all gets back to uh, social media, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and we'll put links in the in the show notes. Uh, but uh, Chuck, uh, how about you and Align uh, Entertainment? <clears throat> well, our goal at Align is to continually bring to the public compelling, interesting, and entertaining stories. This story a documentary was a compelling story to tell. Uh, other films that uh, we are uh, looking at uh, future production for uh, may be somewhat different. Uh, we do hope to bring more documentaries to the table. That is one of our goals. Um, <clears throat> primarily our goal is to provide <clears throat> good quality entertainment vehicles that spread across uh, many different genres. So just like the uh, comedy horror film uh, Gothic Harvest um, is, is one brand where you see the versatility, um, but we also have other planned projects. So um, you can, I'm on IMDB uh, as well, um, as well as social media. Um, I'm not addicted to social media, but I am on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Instagram is Chuckster6913, um, as well as Facebook. Um, can't remember how you get to be a Facebook, but you can look up Willard Chuck Lewis, I, I'm sure, and it'll it'll um, it'll bring me up. Okay, so I want to I want to thank our guests uh, Rachel Morgan and Chuck Lewis for being on the Factual America podcast and talking to us about your your great film, uh, Thread of Deceit: The Hart Family Tragedy. Um, I want to give a shout out to 1091 Media who uh, provided us with the screener. And just to ask all our audience uh, listeners and watchers out there to please to remember like uh, to like us and share us with your friends and family wherever you happen to listen and or watch podcasts. This is Factual America, signing off. You've been listening to Factual America. This podcast is produced by Alamo Pictures, specializing in documentaries, television, and shorts about the USA for international audiences. Head on down to the show notes for more information about today's episode, our guests, and the team behind the podcast. Subscribe to our mailing list or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alamo Pictures to be the first to hear about new productions, to find out where you can see our films, and to connect with our team. Our homepage is alamopictures.co.uk.